Hey everyone, this is Greg Austin, founder of Inclusive Fitness, and welcome to another episode of Raising the Bar podcast. I'm joined again by Eric Chesson, our Director of Adaptive Programming and Innovation, and also the founder of, Inclu- oh, I almost said Inclusive Fitness, <laughs> that's me. Oh, that's your job. <laughs> that's right, the founder of Autism Fitness. Hey, so say hello, Eric. Hey, hey everybody, hey Greg, hey everyone listening. It's good to have you on again, as always. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And um, this is a really, I think, uh, fundamental uh, uh, topic that we're going to be discussing today, Eric. Um, and so mm-hmm. I really want to pick your brain and get your thoughts on this. And <clears throat> that topic is, why is the status quo not good enough when it comes to uh, uh, strength and conditioning programming and exercise in general for neurodivergent people? Um, and what can we do about it, right? Yeah. So uh, this, things that is, we can solve in three and a half minutes or less. <laughs> well, let's make it thirty and, and see what we can do. Um, and it, it is such an important topic because, um, as you and I have discussed many times, um, the fact is that the vast majority of people who are neurodivergent uh, do not get high quality and consistent exercise. Mm. Um, and you know we've we've mentioned this in other podcasts before, but the fact is that the research has shown again and again that um, people who are neurodivergent from the ages of nine to eighteen get much less uh, quality exercise and spend a lot more time on their screens than do their neurotypical peers. Uh, and then after the age of eighteen, it only gets worse into adulthood. Yeah. And as we all know. Um, uh, uh, neurodivergent people are living in the same kind of biological bodies that we all do. And when they don't move, when they're not um, pushed, when they do not get physical activity on a regular basis, high quality movement, it leads to all sorts of things that are uh, in many cases preventable, right? Um, you're looking at uh, uh, diabetes, arteriosclerosis, arthritis. You're looking at um, the possibility of more falls and injuries. Um, due to to lack of strength and stability. Um, And also just the fact that uh, it's harder to engage in uh, fun and physical activities, um, not to mention productivity at work and in other environments and settings. So uh, this is important. And as a parent of somebody who is autistic myself, uh, it's especially personally important for me because I think about Lucas, our son, and uh, what's, what's to become of him if we don't ensure that he has the skills um, and the tools and the desire to be physically fit long after we're gone. And we have to start early. And so that's why we're here today. And so I uh, wanted to talk about the status quo, why it's not good enough. And then again, like I said, what we can do about it. So before I go any further, Eric, do you want to kind of weigh in on the topic in general? Yeah. And, and I like the fact that you've stated it as the status quo, because you, to address the issue meaningfully and and create change. I, I've I've always appreciated the history behind physical culture and health and well being, not only to separate what works from what <laughs> purportedly works, but under, understanding how things got to be the way they are. I, I think um, the status quo is. What's happening right now on average? Um, you know, what what is the average level of physical activity? What's the av- average consideration of physical activity? And how do we approach these things 
from uh, both a you know conceptual, but really from a practical perspective also. I think the most important place to start is the idea that fitness matters and that it has a tremendous impact either way, whether someone is regularly engaging in uh, appropriate and, and beneficial physical activity practices, or they aren't. And that's where you have um, a, a divergence in quality of life. Now, right, right. For, for the autism and neurodiverse populations, <clears throat> where it starts is, and, and, and increasingly I focus more and more on this concept, is prioritization. I don't think at this point, anybody would argue, I would love it. I would love to have this debate and I'm not being facetious. I really mean this. I would love to have a debate. Um, fitness is not important for the autism and neurodiverse population and they should just do, keep doing what they're doing now, which you and I have spoken about for years now. If you want the null hypothesis on what happens when you don't include physical fitness for a, a particular population, look at the autism population right now and, and look at what's going on physiologically, um, look at what's going on from a health perspective. Yeah. So if we can say at a base level that fitness is something important, the question becomes how often and how widespread and how well is it being implemented? And from what you and I have found both in the personal and professional space, the answer is, is not much, certainly not as a universal. So then the question is, how come? You know, if it's important, why isn't it being prioritized and why isn't it being implemented? Mm -hmm. So if we can start with this baseline of physical fitness is important for all populations, the autism and neurodiverse population being included in that all populations, then we get to the question of why, right? What, what are the barriers to, um, to the, the, the majority of this population having access to these programs? Right. And that's where we get into you know, yep. a, a number of other questions. Yeah. Well, and let, let's start with that definition of the status quo, yep. right? And when, when you and I were talking earlier, Eric, we were kind of breaking it down into two components. Mm -hmm. which I think are both, they, they, they both are relevant here. One is, what is the status quo for people who are neurodivergent today? And in terms of a, a physical, high quality physical activity and exercise. And <clears throat> what is the status quo in general when it comes to health and fitness for everyone else? Um, because those same um, principles, I think, apply uh, to neurotypical and neurodivergent alike. So sure. can you talk a little, a little bit about sort of the, the, the first, which is the status quo that you've seen, and I'll weigh in here too, for people who are neurodivergent and the kinds of, of exercise and activity that they're engaged in on a regular basis or, or not. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and in you know, <clears throat> roughly two decades uh, of working with and, and supporting this population through, uh, you know, through autism fitness, I found that there is a shift and, and the more professionals who, um, who, who I speak with and, and have had um, interactions with over the last 20 years, I, I think things have definitely shifted in a, in a good way where 
you know, 20 years ago, it was all academic, 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 and vocational, but very, very narrow. Like, let's see if they can put a box together. And let's see. And all of these things that have been automated now, too. It's like, no, not every individual with an autism diagnosis is going to be you know, in a, in a factory on a line, putting widgets together. And I'm glad for that too, because I think it's such, oh, it's such an underestimation of, of skill sets, number one. And it is so, it it is so narrow as well. Like, okay, let's just have them do the same thing over and over and over, which seems like a good idea. But I, I, I think number one, it is definitely lessening our appreciation for and the opportunities that that can be given to individuals on the autism spectrum because it well is it certainly isn't presuming competence now is it no a- a- absolutely not mm-hmm. and so um you know fast forward a little bit and i think there's a, a much greater emphasis on quality of life and a life well lived both yeah. in um in many not all but in many academic settings now and also in programming too so then I, the shift that I've seen in my scope of practice is much less of a skepticism around physical fitness and physical activity, uh, you know, with, okay, why is that important and why should they move? They, you know, they should be able to, um, you know, let's, let's focus on, you know, tying their shoes and, and memorizing math tables. And I'm, and, and I'm giving very broad um, cliche examples there, but I think now, you know, the space of, let's teach physical fitness skills and let's let's develop a fitness program is a lot more acceptable and and and, and embraced the question now is you know creating the access and, and creating more of uh not only an awareness but an education around what constitutes a uh you know really good fitness program and well that's and that's what i was yeah, well yeah, I was, that's what i was going to get at right there i yeah. think you know you hit the nail on the head is it, uh there seems to be this shift towards accepting that yeah you know we, we all should be exercising regardless of, yeah. of, of who we are. Uh, uh, you know, life is higher quality on mm-hmm. so many dimensions and we don't need to hash that <clears throat> out too much. I think that's, that's been pretty well laid. And that, that doesn't mean that people are doing it. It just means that we accept that. Right. The question then is, you know, what is the status quo today for people who are neurodivergent really? And uh, why is that not sufficient? Because and so let's talk about what what do we see today in general when it comes to sort of the expectation or, and the practice around physical exercise uh, for for people who are neurodivergent. Yeah, and, and it's a great question, and only from my own experience, um, and and certainly you know the the practitioners who who I work with or who who go through the certification. What I think the biggest gap is is one of technical practice and, and, and technical information. How do you put together a program and what constitutes a program that actually works? So we have to look at first the, the qualities of movement that are going to be important. And as you mentioned in the beginning, uh, when, we, when we first started here, we focus mainly on, on strength and conditioning programs because strength and, and strength is often broadly misunderstood, but strength is going to be a component of physical ability that is going to have the greatest carryover or, or generalization mm-hmm. to activities of daily living and quality of life. And it is, 
it's that simple and it's that complex. And you know, when when we're talking about programs that are focusing uh, specifically on cardiovascular functioning or specifically on sports, and I could go on and on about this, but mm-hmm. for the sake of of, of brevity here, um, when you build a program around basic movement patterns and strengthening those movement patterns, they are going to have a beneficial impact on other areas of life, Um, ADLs and and quality of life, reduction of potential injury. All these things, the basis is strength and motor control. And you can't really get around that. So so let me interrupt you there for a second. I want want to go back to this question of status quo because you're absolutely right. That is, that is, that is why we focus on that at inclusive fitness and why that's been the, the emphasis for autism fitness. Mm-hmm. That being said, what are we seeing today uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, if we accept the fact that A, fitness is important mm-hmm. and exercise and movement are important, and yep. B, that strength conditioning yep. is, is actually more important than most people realize. And mm-hmm. we should talk about that for a little bit because I think that's important. That is probably one of those broader uh, misperceptions that's it's 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 you know focus on cardiovascular or any old movement will do um and and so that sort of has led to the status quo of oh you know a little walk every once in a while or putting on a video and having them dance and move and i think that yeah we're neurodivergent um yeah. and you know really having a very low bar for that yeah. status quo let's talk about that because i think i can i can you and i can talk about how important strength is and we'll get to that in a minute uh, but let's talk about what, what's happening today. What are people generally expecting for exercise programming? And you, I think you hit on it a second ago. It's sports specific. Yeah. And or it's, and again, these aren't bad things, but they're not sufficient. Yeah. They're necessary, but not sufficient. There's strength, there's strength. I mean, sorry, there's um, sports specific. And then there is cardiovascular. Yeah. Which, again, good stuff. And, you know, I, 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 I enjoy them. But let's talk sure. about what, what we see in, in your typical programming today. Yeah, if I were to... To encapsulate it, I think the idea that you know more movement is better, and that it's simply not true. And the reason I, I say well, that the status quo, you mean that's how people. Oh think yeah, about it? I, I, okay, good. I wanted to clarify. Like, that. Let's, right. Let's do let's do more and more. Let's do a hundred jumping jacks, or let's you know run for a mile. And if we want to differentiate from that, and 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 discuss what is actually number number one relevant. Um, to the case. And number two, what is going to be most beneficial? We have to look at movement quality mm-hmm. and say, in order to have qualitative, higher quality movement that is going to generalize, we have to develop the strength and, and movement control. And on the status quo issue, the, the idea that more is better, and also the uh, this idea that still, I think in many ways persists, is that engagement in some type of sports specific activity or, or even a one particular um, athletic pursuit, whether it's uh, bike riding or hiking or rock climbing, what, whatever it is. And it's not to say these are bad, but we need to differentiate between general progress and specific progress as well, especially taking mm-hmm. into account mm-hmm. that many of the individuals that we we serve and provide coaching for and support are going to have significant deficits in basic motor programs. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and I will build on that a little bit too in terms of the status quo, because all of those things you listed, I love to do. I love, I love cycling. I like to run. I like hiking. Uh, but A, <clears throat> Um, those are things that do take a, a significant amount of not only strength, but motor planning, yeah. um, but, but, but B, they're not always accessible uh, on a regular basis. You know, uh, I'm going to take Lucas for a hike today, right, around Walden Pond, as I mentioned, but uh, that's not a thing you can do on a regular basis. You do that occasionally. And, and so what do you do in the, in the interim, right? Uh, to, to create general strength, stamina, and stability that uh, can, can make those activities much more um, enjoyable and accessible. Um, and uh, also, I think uh, we, we have to realize that sometimes these are like team sports, for example, are mm -hmm. complex in terms of putting them together. That takes a lot of coordination. You have to get somewhere it's like to a field to be able to do it. There's a lot of rules involved uh, and, and uh, social engagement that's required, which isn't always appropriate or uh, something that people are comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And so it's, 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 so we have to think about, let's take it down to the baseline. Mm -hmm. uh, those things are what, are what are generally seen as sort of the status quo. Yeah, you know, get on the treadmill and walk or go for a walk, maybe do a little Zumba class, which again, not bad things at all. It's just, are they sufficient? Right, well, and I, and, and and I think what we're finding is that that's what's happening, but it, it, from our experience, it's not sufficient. Yeah. And, and crossing over into, uh, you know, the status quo in, in the fitness world also. So you walk into your average, you know, Globo gym or, you know, big box gym. And what do you see? You see a bunch of machines. And so what the industry has done in many ways, and I mean that, you know, the, the gym industry has conditioned people to think that, oh, I walk into a gym and there are a bunch of machines and the machines dictate the programming. Oh, I'm going to use the curl machine for curls. And then I'm going to use, you know, uh, I'm going to use the leg press machine to strengthen my legs. And the, the reason in reality, to give a quick, quick history to this, most of those machines were developed in the seventies and eighties for bodybuilding purposes, and not even to be the main um, components of a bodybuilding program, but to isolate certain right. muscles so that they would grow larger. That was their, that was the purpose of developing these machines. Mm -hmm. Now people walk into a gym and that is the status quo to see this machine for that muscle and that machine for that muscle. So you walk in and you say, okay, well, the machines are dictating what you're going to, what you're going to do in that gym, which is fundamentally backwards because there's no education there. And, and that's, <laughs> Right. The point of, of having, you know, a, a coach who understands what they're doing and someone who's competent in this is making sense of a fitness programming and not, it's funny, I'm just thinking about it now, like, you know, turning things over to, to the machines, uh, you know, <laughs> especially in, a, in our cyborg laden discussions now that we have on in, in the mainstream. Like, but that's what we're doing. We're saying, oh, well, this machine does this. So that's what I should do. No, that machine is there. So, so that you don't have to have as many competent, knowledgeable people coaching other people. And it's not to say the machine is bad. It's just saying that it's being used in a, in a very general way. When it was designed serve, for a very specific It's purpose. designed for a very yeah. specific yeah. purpose. That, that, exactly. And so uh, I think that's an interesting crossover into sort of the status quo as far as the general population is concerned. 
you know, sort of the, the, there's, there's a lot of misperceptions and, and let's face it, uh, media drives a lot of this, no social media and, and media in general um, about what, what fitness really is. And, and also sometimes, not sometimes, but uh, almost always creates unrealistic expectations about mm. what, what most people are going to be able to do. Um, but that, but that's a whole other set of topics that in, in most cases doesn't really apply to the folks that we work with, um, which is, I think, frankly, good. Yeah. Uh, all that being said, though, uh, you know, I think we can we can both agree, and, and I think most most people who are listening to this would agree that uh, the status quo in general for uh, our our uh, the neurodivergent population is is a um, limited to sports activities, which again are complex, hard to do, hard to coordinate, and and probably aren't going to be something that somebody's going to do for, for the rest of their lives, uh, yeah. and 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 um, or uh, activities that. Uh, don't necessarily get the training effect and the outcomes in terms of strength, stability, and stamina that we're looking yeah. for, and that do generalize to overall quality of life, mm-hmm. higher quality oh, of life, I should say. And and so let's let's talk a little bit about um, a couple of other topics that you and I have discussed, which is sort of the why behind some of that, mm-hmm. especially for neurodivergent people. Okay, yeah. um, you know. First of all, options and access are 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 are, are seldom uh, available. You know, it's most gyms aren't designed. Um, actually, almost no gyms are designed around people with sensory issues or with behavioral issues and and, and challenges. Um, uh, and most people aren't uh, trained in how to uh, interact with and coach people who are neurodivergent. And most programming is uh, driven by all the things we were just talking about. Uh, These sort of status quo approaches using machines or cardiovascular equipment um, that don't really have a very clear goal in mind, right? Just movement, more movement is better, which isn't really the case. You know, you have to be thoughtful about your your physical education and your physical training. Um, You don't just jump on a machine and start doing it. You have to have a plan or program and you have to think about where we try to go. You know, as they say, you you, um, manage what you measure. And that's why we do so much measurement and inclusive fitness. Where are we going? How are we doing? What's the progress that we're making? Uh, How do we change this program to continue to make progress? Um, And you don't even see that in the general population, much less in your divergent population. So uh, there's a real challenge there. But there's, there's a couple of other things too. Um, and one of them is, is a bit of a sensitive topic, but I think it's important. And you, you and I were discussing it earlier, which is so many of us, myself included, I've fallen into this trap a million times. We, we think of the people we serve who are neurodivergent, the people who are in our families even, as kids. We call them the kids. Yep. Uh, and... Um, you know, I, I tend not to want to use this word, but the, the infanticizing, if you will, mm-hmm. of people who are neurodivergent, as opposed yeah. to conceive of the, them and treating them as the people they are at the age they are. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing because I think that tends to put an unconscious or conscious bias on what our expectations are for that status quo. And it lowers the bar. Yeah. Right. Well, well you're, you're, the bar. you're automatically limiting somebody. When, when you do that, Absolutely. Um, yeah. even if it's subconsciously. And most of the time, it's I, I'd say 99% of the time, it's not malicious and it, it is no, not meant no, not um, in, in a derogatory way. It's just this default setting when you have someone who does have um, 
you know, cognitive or, or behavioral challenges. And I think it, it, I think that's a big part of it. And I think the other part of it also is programming and, and outreach and services for the autism population tend to be so overwhelmingly focused on children mm -hmm. that it has created this feedback loop where if we're talking about someone in any type of, of program, therapeutic or, or otherwise educational, or in our case, um, fitness, that our, the, the default setting is, oh, it must be for kids. <laughs> Knowing that it couldn't be possible that every individual who is diagnosed on the autism spectrum is 12 or younger. <laughs> and not just autism, of course, we're talking about people more broadly yeah. than that, but, but that's where you see it all the time. And, <laughs> and, and you, you I, look, I've, I've, I've worked with people who are much younger than even some of the clients they support, and they still refer to them as kids. Mm -hmm. Like, stop, stop thinking that way. And again, it's not malicious, but it is, it is destructive. And I think what it does is it, it, it tends to uh, reduce the likelihood that we're going to push and challenge and drive mm -hmm. uh, the people we support to achieve more. Completely. And, and so, like you said, it, it becomes a sort of self-limiting concept. Mm -hmm. um, and so <laughs> when people come into inclusive fitness, um, uh, parents or caregivers, um, and, and in this case, I'll use the word kids with their kids because they literally yep, right. ideologically are, biologically are, right? Yeah. Um, uh, it, it is surprising when they're surprised at what they see these athletes doing. Yeah. Um, and after a while, they're just shaking their head and like, I had no idea. Like, well, that's okay, but they can do this. And not only that, they thrive when they do mm -hmm. because suddenly you're opening up doors for these athletes. And you're helping them realize, as well as their families and caregivers, what they can do. They are seeing what they can do. Um, and then uh, that status quo becomes no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. Well, what, it makes me think of one of the mantras in inclusive fitness, which is presume competence, which is, okay, great. And, and it looks cool on the wall, but it's something that's actually put into practice. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't mean to have unrealistic expectations and it doesn't mean to pay it simply lip service like you're capable of doing anything on the planet. It's like let's figure out what we can do so that we can figure out where you need to go and it's just it's appropriate goal setting and to your point when we limit someone um you know simply by either speaking speaking to you know an 18 or 28 year old as though they're they're six or, or thinking, oh, no, they're not going to be able to, to do this because this, this, and this, and, and bullet point off those potential reasons. What we're doing is we're figuring out a plan based, mm -hmm. based on that particular individual's abilities. And we have to measure those abilities first, and then we can figure out, okay, no, this is actually doable. And, and so much of that surprise effect or, or, or that reaction that parents have is simply a result of seeing what is what what's possible right. and and bringing it to reality well and and my philosophy is is 
uh, let them surprise us, give them the opportunities yeah. to, to, to achieve more and push mm -hmm. them. And, uh, don't, I, I should never be the, or none of my coaches should ever be the late, the rate limiting factor here. We should never be the ones saying, oh, they can't do that. Only they can do that. And that's well, truly what presuming competence is all about is giving them those opportunities to succeed and, and, and not putting barriers on them. And that's where I think we're seeing so much of the status quo as being worse than mediocre, which is frustrating. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's really not letting people achieve their, their most because they're putting, we, we as a society are putting on um, lim limiters and blinders mm -hmm. on, on what's possible. And boy, when you see an athlete uh, accomplish something, that they didn't even know that they, they themselves could do, then guess what? The next time it's going to be something even greater uh, yeah. because you're opening up those doors and opening up those windows. And uh, uh, boy, talk about an increase in quality of life. Uh, sure. that's, that's extraordinary. I want to move on because we're, we're getting uh, into almost a half an hour here. And um, I think, you know, one other area we, we, we haven't touched on, uh, we've talked about sort of the infanticizing and, uh, we talked about the access and uh, the availability of good coaches and good environments as being barriers to overcoming the status quo. And of course, that's why we founded Inclusive Fitness and why you founded in, uh, Autism Fitness. Um, there's another part of it, which is quite fundamental. It's hard to do, right? Uh, we're, we're dealing with um, all sorts of things that can get in the way of, of success and is finding ways to, to work with our guys and our, our, our athletes uh, that give them the opportunity to be successful, but you know, um, not everyone knows what to do. Doesn't know how to program. Doesn't know how to coach. Doesn't know how to motivate uh, and keep people on track. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I I think it comes down to having having a plan, and that plan is always going to be based on what are the goals, what are the potential obstacles to those goals, and really understanding what needs to be done. At, at what time? Another thing that I wanted to to well, in 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 way of answering this also with respect to talking about the status quo, the reason that our programming is effective at, at at IF is we're looking at fundamental movement programs. That is the basis of everything being done: push, pull, squat, carry, crawl, mm -hmm. throw. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we look at it through the lens of we need to get these things done in some way, it creates a roadmap. Now, when you have um, certain adaptive or, or, or behavioral challenges with an athlete, so I'm thinking of, of one of my adult athletes right now, he is constantly picking stuff up off the floor, you know, pulling pieces of turf up <laughs> when, when during his fitness program. Yep. So one of the challenges there is to is to make sure that he is able to maintain focus so that we can get to the pressing and pulling and squatting and right. all of these things. So that's where you need to, in terms of prioritization, you need to have a roadmap and you need to understand what is going to be most important and most beneficial and how do we get there as well? Because that makes it more evident what needs to be done, what that process needs to look like and how it needs to happen for each athlete. So I, I think in, in way yeah. of answering that, what you, you need to have that plan and that plan needs to be based on best practices in delivering a fitness program that is going to have these results. Well, and, and I, I think, you know, uh, 
kind of sort of wrap wrap this up a little bit, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, and that's kind of getting back to why I said it's often very hard. Um, because A, not everyone knows how to, to do this sort of work. Most mm-hmm. people don't actually. Um, and they don't have a, a good environment within which to do it. And mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have a good plan. And that's, by the way, okay. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a billion things I'm no good at <laughs> or, or never have had the opportunity to develop skills around. Um, but uh, this, is, this is a very unique sort of uh, uh, thing to do, which is to coach and train people who are neurodivergent and support them and their families. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does take the, you know, we talk about the three Ps all the, right, all the time, the right people, the right programming and the right place for it to happen. Um, and getting that combination right is, is hard, it's challenging. Um, but at the same time, it's absolutely essential if we're going to overcome the status quo and, right. and, and, and create those opportunities for success, a higher quality of life, you know, um, and, and the ability to, to do things that, uh, uh, you know, otherwise our, our athletes would never be able to do. And so, um, you know, if you think about sort of all those different barriers, that's why inclusive fitness exists. That's why autism fitness exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the things that I kind of want to, you know, help, I want to stress is that while inclusive fitness uh, is designed from the ground up and autism fitness is designed to to make these things possible, um, that isn't the only way to make it happen. Families can do more. Uh, They can learn how to do this. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't create access uh, in the way that, you know, maybe everyone like, but uh, there are things that people can do uh, in terms of home programming and, and learning how to, the support. And if nothing else, uh, demand more from uh, educators and from people who are uh, doing programming for neurodivergent people. Um, and I think if, if, even if you're not necessarily coaching your own child, whether they're an adult or otherwise, if you can start to, to, to have a higher expectation around what that status quo should be, and to say, you know, just getting on a treadmill and walking a few minutes each day or uh, putting on a video and hoping they move um, or playing sports, you know, once or twice a month, you know, not accepting that as enough and saying, hey, guys, what can we do? How can you help us? Where can we get them more engaged in more physical activity, especially strength training? I think that's a, a good starting point for a lot of people because no, not everyone can come to inclusive fitness. You know, we only, have the, we only have the one place so far, but I think there's a lot more we can do in terms of at least changing what we expect in terms of that status quo and demanding more and, and presuming that competence. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, to to break it down, it starts with a you know a question uh, a statement and then two questions and the, the statement is this needs to be prioritized yes and then question one is what makes an effective meaningful fitness program mm-hmm. and question two is how do I start yeah. and if you have statement yep. question question in in that order then we can fill it in mm-hmm mm-hmm. To, 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 to wrap this up, if, if you were to give sort of one piece of advice, let's say to a parent or an, even a self-advocate uh, mm-hmm. or a caregiver or somebody who's interested in this space who's listening uh, when it comes to challenging the status quo, and I love, I love your breakdown right there, statement, question, question, uh, what would it be? How, how would you encourage them to start thinking differently about it and to reset their expectations around what's possible and what the status quo should be. 
that even if something has has been ignored, and like talking specifically about about fitness, we understand it for as universal for human beings that it's important. And this is something that our our population, the autism and, and neurodiverse population, is capable of when we understand the appropriate goals and when we have a system. Like mm-hmm. these, these things are accessible. There is there's information and there are, there are practices that are critical to to implementing a program that is going to be successful. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and so uh, again, I think maybe the first thing to do is to uh, is, as as a parent um, myself mm-hmm. is to start examining your own uh, unconscious bias or conscious biases Mm -hmm. and and ask yourself, am I putting limitations on the person uh, I may be um, responsible for with respect to the the quality of their life? Mm -hmm. Am am I uh, infantasizing? Am I um, thinking of them as, as kids? Am I not challenging them enough? And even just starting there, is I think a really good place. And then we can, you can start to address the other questions of, okay, well, what do we need to do um, and how can we do it? Um, so that's, the, that's sort of the, that was sort of the point of today's discussion is to, to challenge people to rethink what that status quo should be and, and to ask themselves, hmm, am I doing this? Am I uh, 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 putting limitations on, on people? And can I expect more? And then we can start to ask the question, what's next? So yeah. any final thoughts before we, we, uh, we close this up? Yeah, I, I think from you know, the practical standpoint also, it's about asking, asking the right questions too. And that's why I come back you know, to having that, that basis of understanding the exercises and the programming that's going to be the most effective. Because once, you, once we understand that or agree on that, then you know the 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 really good meaningful questions come along right yeah so if anybody wants to learn a little bit more of course eric and i are always available you can reach us uh through the inclusive fitness website www.inclusivefitness.com uh or eric through your website autismfitness.com there you go um and you know we're we're always putting out new new uh uh thoughts and ideas and sharing things with people, but we love to talk to people about this. And, and if you do have a question and want to talk about it, we'd love to, to engage you in that conversation. Well, yeah. Eric, as always, thank you. It's a pleasure chatting with you. And Yeah, uh, happy to do it. It, it. Our our biggest issue is limiting the amount that we're going to talk on, on each of these, because each one of these we could go on for and do sometimes for like three hours. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> I got to take my kid for a walk. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. This has been Raising the Bar with Greg Austin and Eric Chesson, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Yep.